0: I am convinced that the idea and the concept and the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave was sort of a, it was an added bonus to the grand prize, if you will. People believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had been waiting for the Messiah to come, right? And these people, when they saw Jesus, they thought Messiah, right? As they are learning from Jesus and hearing him teach and preach and so on, every now and then he throws out these hints about the coming Messiah, excuse me, Holy Spirit. That there would come a Holy Spirit or a comforter, right, or an advocate, helper, sometimes Jesus says. And I have to think that they have no idea what that means. Because if you're using the Old Testament as a base for what Messiah does, it's kind of hard to piece together all these ideas about the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about. So I'm convinced that the disciples are thinking, okay, well, we got Messiah. That's what we really want in this Holy Spirit business? That's a gravy. Sounds good. Whatever. But they had no idea what the Holy Spirit was going to do to and through them. If they did, they might might have some objections to it. But the Holy Spirit was something that Jesus had promised. And actually, according to John, like we talked about in Sunday school, the way John tells the story, Jesus has already offered to and given, apparently, the Holy Spirit to the disciples. If you remember that story, right? Jesus has resurrected on Easter morning. The disciples are scared, so they go and hide into a room, so they won't get killed as well. And they have the doors locked. John tells us that Jesus appeared behind these doors, and one of the things he did to them, if you remember, is he he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a, that's a, a lot different than the way Luke talks about the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit, so that gives us something to chew on and something to try to make sense of. But on this day, though, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit came in an unmistakable way. You remember last week, the disciples watched Jesus ascend, and one of the things that Jesus had told them was to go to, Jer- to Jerusalem and wait there. And you would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. And so they are in Jerusalem, and they are waiting, good little disciples, that they were. And as they're waiting, in the room that they were, think about maybe a room like this, and all of a sudden, the window's flying open, right? And there's a strong wind, and it just comes through and it's forceful and it's powerful. You can hear it. You can feel it. And then not only that, there's these images of of fire, right? And we know that fire and smoke and these types of things remind us of the presence of God. And so here you have this fire filling the place. And upon each of the disciples, sort of something like a flame of fire resting on each of their heads. And then they begin to speak. They respond to this the coming of the Holy Spirit in sort of an uncontrollable way. They begin to speak in languages that are not their own. No Rosetta Stone needed here. Boy, they just let it fly. Right? And all of a sudden, the people who were there around them take notice. And you know the rest of the story, right? People hear them. And then people respond to them as well. In fact, Luke tells us 3,000 people came to believe. Every preacher's dream, right, to get up and preach and have 3,000 people come. Hello. I'm working on it. But, uh, but Peter gives, gets up after this and he gives a sermon. 3,000 people respond and put their faith in God. And then the church keeps moving. The church continues to grow numerically in great numbers day by day. And the community kept growing. And when we think about this, this great growth of the church, this beginning of the church, I think right now our children are, are having a birthday party for the church, right? Because we think of Pentecost as the birthday of the church. And if we think of it that way, it's good to realize when did that happen? When the Holy Spirit came. And this might be one of those moments, maybe you highlight something in your Bible or write something in your bulletin that great and powerful things happen when the Holy Spirit shows up. Mark that up here, at least, would you? Great and powerful things happen when the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, maybe you've heard something like this before. Well, I was there and the Holy Spirit came over me and, and, and I just felt so at peace and, and I felt comforted and, and I felt assured and it was so quiet and oh, it, was, it was beautiful. It was serene. You ever heard anything like that before? Some of us have probably had experiences like that before, right? And, and let me say out front, I believe the Holy Spirit does those things. The Holy Spirit gives us peace and comfort. He's called the comforter, right? When Jesus, according to John, gave the Holy Spirit, he told them, peace be with you. And that this is the spirit of truth. So the spirit does those things. But I think the spirit does so much more. We have this tendency, don't we, to sort of rein in God. Or as some people have said, we want to try to tame God. We do it with God. We do it with Jesus. We do it with the Holy Spirit as well, whereas God is this all-powerful God, right? The God who plays with the sea monsters in the baptel, like you read about in Sunday school. See, what y'all miss in Sunday school? But God is this all-powerful God. He's created the heavens and the earth. God is all-powerful, almighty, all these things. And yet, when we think about God, we think about some, some old man sitting in the clouds with a long beard and a cane. Or we think about Jesus, right? Jesus came and Jesus had some words that weren't very nice to say to people. And he told them what needed to be said. A few times, at least once, he got pretty ticked off and let everybody know. But yet, when we think about Jesus, we think, sweet Jesus. And even the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit sort of this calming assurance in the back of our minds, this soft voice of God. Again, Can the Holy Spirit be that? I think so. I think so. I think the Holy Spirit can be that voice inside of us. But I think it's more than that. You see, when we package Pentecost, that is, when Pentecost becomes sort of this historical event that happened a long time ago, and it becomes something that we file as history or just something that we remember that happened to somebody some time ago, then the Holy Spirit becomes sort of this sort of holy cheerleader, right? That when we're doing well and things are going good, the Holy Spirit's celebrating with us and cheering us on. And when we're not doing so well, when we're down in the dumps, the Holy Spirit's the one to pick us up and make us feel good again. And brothers and sisters, please understand me. Let me say it again. I believe the Holy Spirit does those things, but I think it's so much more. And I wonder if if, if when Jesus is in this locked room with the disciples and he tells the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit, that maybe one of the things we we can be reminded of is that, yes, Jesus does those things, gives us peace, meets us in those closed rooms, meets us at the high point of our fears and everything that is against us, that Jesus, the Spirit of God, meets us there. And then I also wonder that if maybe at Pentecost, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit does so much more. You see, the reality, I think, is as these disciples are waiting around in Jerusalem, I don't think any one of them has in their mind, maybe I'm wrong, but that any one of them has in their mind, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to stand up in front of all these people and make a fool out of myself. I don't think any of them had that in their mind, but the Holy Spirit does, right? And not just one of them, all of them. Got all of them up there speaking all kind of weird languages. They don't know what they're saying. People think they're drunk, okay? Put that in your mind at 9 o'clock in the morning. See, I don't think any of them wanted to do that, but the Holy Spirit has this sort of ability and power to make us move, Mhm. To make us do some things that maybe we wouldn't be so willing to do on our own. The Holy Spirit has this power and ability to make us move beyond ourselves. And not, I don't say that flippantly, not to make fools of ourselves, but to move us beyond ourselves. The Holy Spirit moved in those disciples. And friends, I am convinced that the Holy Spirit moves in us as well. But we have to be willing to be moved. One of the things I say, you know, I'm not, I'm not overweight. I'm just hard to kidnap. Right? It's going to take a lot to move me. If you want me, you have to do some work. (laughs) Because sometimes I don't want to be moved. Y'all with me? And if we're going to let the Holy Spirit do some great work, we have to be willing to move, move out of our pews, move out of our comfort zones, move out of those things that are keeping us away from God, moving away and being moved by the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work of God. And friends, when we do that, do you know the the best part of it is? Is that God's Spirit, God's Spirit can do that, can move in us, can move in all of us and do great work. The Holy Spirit has been doing it. Look at the history of our faith. you you will find that there are names that you know of, names of prophets and bishops and teachers and preachers, right? And we know about their life. We know about the things they taught, about how they went about their daily business. We name churches after them. There's so many examples of people who have seemingly done great things. The Holy Spirit has moved in them. And there's also so many more people whose names or faces you don't know, you've never heard of, you've never seen. Grandparents or parents, Sunday school teachers, prayer partners or widows who give everything they have. See, these are the kinds of people who can sort of go unnoticed in the grand scheme of things when we are looking for big, right? But I've known a lot of Sunday school teachers and I've only known one or two have said, you know what? I really wanted to be a Sunday school teacher when I got older. The rest of them, no thank you. We'll leave that to you, John, or somebody else. But the Holy Spirit moved in them. Or I've known, <laughs> if you don't think, there are preachers who didn't want to do what they're doing now. If you don't think you've met any. Not all of us want to the pulpit for Christmas, y'all. Come on, really? But God's Spirit has this ability and this way in moving in all of us, moving us beyond ourselves so that we can do the work of God that we were called to do. But we have to be willing to Move. I say, move it. You move it. Say, move it. Move it or lose it. No, that's not how it goes, right? But the Holy Spirit moves in us. And we need to move with the whole Holy Spirit as well. And the other part of the good news is the Holy Spirit, yes, does this. But that we can be a part of it. Sometimes I'm convinced that so many of us think that, well, this, this God's work stuff, that's that's for people like you, John, or for other people who are more spiritually fit than I am. And that's not true. We can be a part of this as well. We think about the Corinthian church, this church that Paul addressed. And in your Bible, you have two letters addressed to them. There were probably several other letters that were there, but... This Corinthian church, if you think about it, they, they struggled with how to be the people of God with each other. They came from different backgrounds. They had different uh, statuses in, in their culture. Some were rich and some were poor. Some were important and some were not. And if you think about that, I mean, kind of look around you real quick. And I know uh, several of us are missing, people are traveling, whatever. but kind of think about the people who are usually here in our congregation. You You can move your head. It's okay to you know, move around in church a little bit. It's okay. Nobody's going to, you know, you'll still be in the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't worry. But look around and you think about the people who usually surround us here in this place. There are people whose, whose story is a lot different than our own. People who come from different places all over the world. People who have different ideas about faith, about politics even about sports, right? There are people with different ideas about a lot of things and yet we come together in this one place and see the Corinthians had this struggle. They came together but they let all of these things divide them and one of the things that divided them was this idea of spiritual gifts. And as we think about this Corinthian church and we think about us looking around our own small congregation, we can see and we can be assured that Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, but we can also be sure that God is speaking to us as well. That that division that the Corinthian church faced, we could face it too if we're not careful. That we can let these things divide us if we're not careful. But one of the things that the Corinthians divided themselves over was this idea of spiritual gifts. See, some of the Corinthians thought because they had a particular gift, which they thought was a more important gift. It was a more spiritual gift. And so consequently, they thought that they were more important or more spiritual than somebody else. And Paul does a fabulous job of balancing all these spiritual gifts out, saying that there isn't one that's more important. He gives us this great illustration of our own bodies that God has given us, how each part works together, how if we get rid of one part of the other, the whole body suffers. And Paul says that's the body of Christ. That is the church, that without each other, we're missing something. And so we realize that when we think about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit coming in power, that we have a part to play in God's work under the Spirit, When we think about the gifts that God has given to us, all of our gifts, no matter what they are. Sometimes people, I think, look at me, and they look at my pretty black dress, and they think, well, yeah, you got the gift. That's the only gift there is to have. And friends, let me tell you, it's not true. If you are here, you have a gift. If you were created by God, which we all were, you have a gift. And there's three things I want you to realize about those gifts one they are gifts the word that paul uses there is charisma gifts and it denotes a sort of grace from god that the gifts that we have i know sometimes you remember a few weeks ago when we all said that when doreen gives me a hundred dollars i can do whatever i want with that hundred dollars because she gave it to me as a gift do you remember that i do um But God has given us gifts, and I don't think that God has said, well, you're going to do this and you're going to do this with these gifts. No. What we do with the gifts that God has given to us is our own choice, isn't it? But be not mistaken, friends. The gifts that we have come from God, no matter what they are. And then the second thing I want you to realize about these gifts is that they are for everyone. If you look as Paul goes through that list, He says things like these gifts are given to, hello, everyone, to each one individually and things like that so that everybody can be assured that they are a part of the body of Christ. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I don't care how much you think you know. I don't care how much schooling you have. I don't care what your past experiences are. Everyone has these gifts that can be used for the common good, God's work. And finally, something to think about these gifts. And Paul uses this word twice, at least, and I think it's a great word, that all of these gifts are activated. Huh? Activated. Paul says all of these gifts are activated by the Holy Spirit. That what God has given us, when the Holy Spirit activates them, we move. And we should move. Now, friends, we talk a lot about wanting to see great and powerful things. Great and powerful things happening in our world. Great and powerful things happening even in our own lives. But let me tell you this, as long as we keep Pentecost tightly wrapped We miss what the Holy Spirit can do. But when we unpack Pentecost and realize that that same power and authority is given to each of us, we realize that we can do great things. Does it bother you that there are people who are going hungry? Guess what? You can do something about it. Does it bother you that people are dying because of diseases that can be healed? Guess what? We can do something about it. Does it bother you that children are abused, that spouses are beaten? Does it bother you that people live in turmoil? Well, guess what? We can do something about it. Does it bother you that even in your own life there are things that you feel like you can't overcome? There are people that you feel like you can't love, that you really want to. Does it bother you that there's so much about your own life that you feel like you can't get together? Well, guess what? We can. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who moves in us. So you think about what God is calling you out there to do and to be. And you think about what it is in your life that you know God has got to take care of. And maybe we just need to ask the Holy Spirit to move. Not just the Holy Spirit, but to move us a little bit more. Would you pray with me? Oh God, as we think about this world that is hurting in so many ways, and as we think about our own lives that are hurting too, we pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to move in all of us. Move us in ways that we can do your work. Move us in ways that we can be your people. Move us in ways that lead us closer to you. Move us, God, so that we can know your great power and love. God, help us from this day to move by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.